0: Good morning. I hope you've slept well and are ready to start your day. You're starting your morning off right because you're listening to Dura, the podcast about what keeps neurosurgeons up at night. My name is Marieke Broekman, and in this episode, I'll talk to Saskia Pierdeman. Saskia is a neurosurgeon in Amsterdam, the Netherlands, and she's also the vice dean of the Faculty of Medicine of the University of Amsterdam. Good morning, Saskia. How did you sleep?
1: Good morning, Marika. Very nice to speak to you on this uh, lovely morning. It's dry today, which is uh, unique here in the Netherlands. And I slept really, really well. Um, I've had a good day yesterday, a nice evening with my husband. And I started this morning um, with a nice cup of coffee, feeding my cats the ducks and the chicken. So my day is perfect. It's a Saturday, by the way. It sounds like the start of a good weekend. Absolutely. Uh,
0: I can imagine it's uh, we're hitting another COVID wave here, that there might be times that you might not sleep so well or that you might be worried that it's not as calm <laughs> as it is today.
1: Definitely, definitely. We, we have encountered lots of struggles during the past month uh, within neurosurgery, obviously, because um, the amount of uh, oh, our possibilities has dramatically decreased, so we have continuously um, make choices who uh, can be operated and, and who can't be operated. That is on the clinical side, but on uh, the side of uh, my um, job as a vice dean. Um, I have had many problems in trying to keep our future doctors busy in times where uh, people are not really allowed to travel or to enter in public buildings. So it has been a struggle um, to try to keep the quality of our education, of our future doctors on a high standard.
0: So how do you do this? Are students at home at the moment or can they enter the building?
1: Well, let me first explain a bit of the context in which we uh, are uh, educating our future doctors. Our faculty is within the academic center, meaning that if there are rules within the academic center, we have to comply to these rules. We are um, responsible for about uh, 2,000, nearly 3,000 students, so uh, we have to make uh, a lot of logistic changes in order to keep their uh, um, their training uh, up to date and high quality. So what we did was we transformed uh, the three years of bachelor training completely into online digital teaching and training. And that has been a major effort of all our faculty and uh, also the uh, our training institute. The other problem is our uh, interns, because they have to work uh, in the various hospitals in our region and they have to uh, comply to all the rules that are also uh, valid for our um, doctors. So, um, it has been uh, a lot of organizing, uh, creating new rules, setting new rules, Uh, uh, trying to keep the quality of uh, the teaching at the working space um, uh, as good as possible, but also keeping them safe and having enough faculty to help them train in uh, the workspace.
0: Wow, this sounds like a major effort, and I imagine that it will be hard for students um, to be at home, while studying, uh, learning how to be a doctor by watching videos, etc. Have you observed a change
1: in motivation? Yes, absolutely. Uh, uh, If you are in the bachelor phase, so the first three years, then uh, your motivation also comes for being in personal contact with faculty instead of uh, uh, talking to them on the screen. But uh, there is also some added value in Uh, coming together, discussing things, uh, etc. And the the informal way of training uh, students is as important as the formal way. So uh, only on a screen, the discussion and the connection with doctors is, is low. But as an intern, uh, that interaction is better and higher. And we're trying to uh, keep that intact as much as possible.
0: I can imagine that this is a, it's a cause for a little bit of sorrow. But have there been positive changes because of COVID as well? Yes,
1: definitely. You know, we were have been talking about uh, the possibilities of digital education uh, during the past years, but never had enough necessity to change and now there was a huge necessity to change and immediately it started to uh, trigger the creative people among us. So we have now uh, new forms of um, digital training, but not only at home, but also international. We have organized international classrooms. Uh, where um, contacts with other countries about the same subject has been started. So, for instance, uh, uh, um, uh, in orthopedic surgery, uh, there has been a uh, contact uh, with the University of Birmingham and we're now setting up uh, joint classrooms with the University of Birmingham, for instance. So things like this are triggering a lot of uh, creative possibilities and um, it uh, uh, improves also uh, the quality of the international contacts. So yes, um, uh, the classroom is now beyond the borders of the Netherlands.
0: So that suggests that yeah, that there are positive things about this COVID pandemic as well. Uh, yep. Suggests that you can actually uh, make a broader impact, uh, and um, I can uh, yeah, I I can envision that. And these relations also create a new way of working in teams. Can you perhaps elaborate a bit on that?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, what we see uh, uh, that um, the past years, uh, the multidisciplinary uh, uh, team meetings have increased dramatically, especially in the academic context. And what we now encounter is that these uh, multidisciplinary uh, patient uh, um, uh, meetings are now partly on site, partly online, and is also now extending to our uh, partners within the region. And that creates a completely new dynamic uh, in the sense that uh, where um, in the past you were um, adjusted to uh, one chairman and uh, people to discuss with in a certain way you now have to have a different way of for instance um, uh, chairing these sessions but also discussing in a different way you have to raise your hand you cannot freely say something during a meeting so um, that will have impact on um, the way we discuss patients and probably uh, uh, either opens the broader window of being able to uh, um, exchange expertise, but also diminish the freely um, possibility of discuss. So the brainstorm part in discussions is def- definitely more difficult.
0: And how do you think we can improve this um, way of communicating how is there a way we can get back the brainstorm session and the more informal part of a uh, uh, team discussion
1: i'm not quite sure but we we have to change the dynamic in uh, online discussing things and how we are going to do that is for me still something that um, bothers me there are possibilities, for instance, for breakout rooms, but that uh, diminishes the possibility to learn from each other and uh, exchange expertise. If you diminish the amount of people that are present in a meeting where you brainstorm, uh, but perhaps... Um, uh Making a new way with breakout rooms in smaller groups and coming back uh, to elaborate on the, the findings in the smaller rooms is a possibility, but, but takes far more time than we're used to. So that has to be addressed as well. Um, I'm not quite sure yet.
0: Do you think we'll keep communicating this way or that it will change again once the pandemic is sort of over?
1: No, 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 no. A part of this will definitely stay. But meeting each other face to face is, um, in my opinion, a necessity as well. But, but perhaps we go to a form in which you meet, for instance, uh, one out of four times or something like that. And it will diminish travel time as well. So it will be more efficient. Um, I don't think it will ever um, uh, disappear out of our system, but it will be, for instance, a combination uh, uh, between on-site and online. And so for the students,
0: you mentioned you're responsible for almost 3,000 medical students. Do you think that their curriculum will change again? Now it's completely online, you mentioned.
1: Will that change? Uh, Yes, it must change. Uh, The online part will definitely uh, stay present all the time. Uh, But, you know, you have to have your role models. You have to see your role models uh, uh, as a faculty. You have to uh, form your um, uh, views on profession and that cannot be online only. Uh, there is something like um, building your views on your profession but also um, uh, getting your own values uh, within the profession. You need role modeling, you need uh, development of being a doctor and that cannot be online only. Not at all. And so you mentioned important things.
0: You mentioned if you want to establish your values as a doctor, you want to sort of see what type of doctor do I want to be. You need role models for that. What are other things that you think are super important uh, to
1: teach uh, medical students? Uh, there is something that is also uh, very important for me, not only for medical students, but also for residents. And that that is something that I... Uh, would describe as uh, resilience. Um, What I encounter is that uh, we as doctors, as neurosurgeons, as neurosurgical residents uh, encounter a lot of hardship during our daily practice. And um, I I don't know how you can teach resilience, um, but that is something that um, uh, is in my mind uh, uh, quite often society is changing, people within society are changing, but we do need resilient doctors. And if society um, doesn't help in uh, uh, as a person within society uh, becoming resilient, how do we teach our doctors and our residents to uh, become resilient? Because as doctors, as neurosurgeons, we encounter a lot of hardship. Can you give an example? Well, you have to uh, be able to make decisions within life or death, within our profession as neurosurgeons. You have to be resilient if you make complications. Uh, It's part of the job that if you perform surgery that there will be complications.
0: So teaching resilience, I think that's a very important subject. I've noticed um, the change in society and in our hospitals as well. However, I find it difficult to train residents to become resilient, despite them being around all the time. So I can only imagine that online it will be even harder. But uh, what can we do um, as neurosurgeons to help train um, residents, medical students?
1: Yeah, that's. I'm not sure yet. I don't know how you can train them to um, to become resilient. You know, in daily practice, you have to encounter uh, problems um, that that have an, uh, an an emotional or personal impact on you, and that's I think the only way to train resilience to encounter uh, problems that um, that help you build resilience but i don't know how i can actually put people in situations that i can't do that i can't put put people in situations where they encounter problems so that they can train resilience i, I just don't know but it's um it, it is really something that is on my mind quite often because i see people that are extremely motivated to become doctors but have problems in uh, being able to deal with difficult situations in which you have responsibility i struggled with the same thing
0: i would love for my students and residents to become very good doctors and not to succumb under the pressure of the work and under and if you have to explain you know uh, to a patient that he has a glioblastoma and yeah, it will change the life of that patient but it shouldn't change your life as a doctor even though you should be empathic
1: because without empathy, what are we doing? Exactly. So there must be uh, one way or another you have to train uh, empathy, the, the line between empathy and emotion. And um, that, that is something that is really difficult because how do you train it? I think the only way is to be in daily practice and being able to find out yourself Uh, where um, the the daily practice really um, has an an impact on you as a person and a doctor and where you have to uh, improve a way of dealing with it.
0: Yeah, so during COVID, many of our residents were recruited uh, to work on uh, COVID wards or on the ICU, etc. I think they've experienced quite hard things. Some of them got sick themselves um do you think well this thinking of empathy uh, etc this
1: could could be a valuable training for them uh yeah well being um able to encounter a crisis in which uh you you have to uh, decide on difficult things within uh healthcare not being able to control everything, yes, that's uh, absolutely uh, valuable uh, in, your tr- in your development as a professional. But I'm not sure whether you can um, say that it's a mandatory training. What, what you are suggesting is uh, a mandatory form of resilience training in difficult uh, circumstances. I'm not sure whether you can really um, make such a training mandatory in order to improve resilience in people.
0: I agree. <laughs> I, I just think that you know that that it could be the upside of the current pandemic that some unexpectedly were given a chance as well. Exactly. To, yep. to work under these circumstances. We also
1: give our um, uh, interns the possibility uh, to work on the, in a COVID uh, department as part of their training. And there are some that uh, uh, volunteer uh, to do that and there are some that don't do that. But I cannot um, make it a mandatory training because there is always uh, um, a quality that uh, needs to be uh, continued, it, it, it's difficult. And do you
0: think that spending time not only uh, doing the online education as a student, uh, but also doing other activities might uh, have an impact on their Professional development?
1: Absolutely. What we we did is that we created a large uh, database uh, in our hospital of students that were willing to to help on the wards as a side job. And about uh, between 200 and 500 students uh, volunteered uh, to do that. And that is something that is absolutely valuable in their way of looking at uh, their future health care. And it also triggers them to um, look at possibilities, for instance, to um, manage awards, to interprofessional and teamwork. Um, it gives them an insight in a crisis situation in healthcare. So it's extremely valuable. What did you do to become the professional you are? Well, at the moment, well, um, uh, <laughs> I've had a long career. And I, um, I I loved neurosurgery. The moment as that I encountered neurosurgery as an intern, I, I was really in love with uh, the profession. So that was my f- main and first uh, object to um, become a neurosurgeon. And um, during daily work, daily activities, there were two other things uh, outside neurosurgery that fascinated me. And that was uh, the strength and weakness of teams, because I can perform uh, a beautiful operation in which I'm very satisfied with myself. But if uh, along the line, for instance, during ICU, uh, the quality of the care is not uh, good then my surgery can be perfect but the patient can die anyhow and that was uh, something that I encountered in daily practice and that triggered my, um, uh, my fascination for strength and weaknesses in team functioning uh, and that is one of my uh, topics in uh, um, my uh, appointment as a professor And the other, um, what fascinated me within neurosurgery is the possibility to transfer knowledge to others, not only uh, students, but also residents, interns, but also um, uh, direct colleagues. So uh, learning, teaching, training, transferring knowledge, that is uh, something that also fascinates me. And that is why um, the opportunities that came along uh, during my uh, work as neurosurgeon um, uh, finally um, transformed to what I am doing now, and that is being a neurosurgical staff member, but also vice dean of uh, the Faculty of Medicine and also having... um, the responsibility of uh, the residents training for uh, not only all uh, types of specialism in our academic center that are 32 different uh, uh, specialisms but also within the region and that is um, about eight to 10 training and teaching hospitals and if you were to advise
0: your younger self Okay, so if you like teaching, training, neurosurgery, uh, what are the things
1: you would say to your younger self to do or not to do? No, the start would be exactly the same. Neurosurgery, 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 and neurosurgery. Um, But um, my younger self, I would suggest to a quicker start with, um trying to be in the um, the, um, the boards that are responsible for uh, improving either uh, training, teaching, uh, transferring knowledge and uh, the boards that are responsible for um, the organization of interprofessional collaboration. And for some, it
0: sounds easy—just get on the board. <laughs> but uh, do
1: you have an advice on how to get there for students listening? Oh, just just sign sign yourself in uh, if the opportunity comes along. But look for the opportunities. I didn't look for opportunities; it just happened. So if you're interested in uh, something extremely related to your daily practice. But with uh, the possibility to influence it outside your practice, look for the opportunities and not wait until they come along. I would like to thank Saskia for all her advice and stories. We
0: spoke about the impact of COVID 19 on the current training situation and about what Saskia wants to teach her students. One of these things was resilience. We discussed that it's actually kind of hard to teach resilience other than being on the ward and trying to find a way to deal with the things we encounter as neurosurgeons. If you'd like to learn more about the challenging cases in neurosurgery, please visit us at www.ens.org. I hope to connect with you again in two weeks. For now, have a great day.